I'd like to continue sharing some things about the anointing, about what it means to minister the anointing of the Spirit of God. And the anointing in the new covenant, uh, you know, I'm gonna share an old covenant type or shadow of the anointing that we carry in Christ, that there are ingredients that went into the anointing that was used to sanctify the tabernacle, the priests, and all the offerings. Um, but there's something that we carry on the inside of us in the new covenant, and that's Christ in us. Christ means the anointed one, that we have a holy anointing, and it's for a reason. And the reason why I feel like it's on the Lord's heart for us is that we're carrying something that the world's in desperate need of, that we have something holy and precious in our lives. We're carrying Christ in us, the hope of glory, which is the only answer that there actually is that lasts. We're, We're living in a I mean, culturally right now, it feels like everything's just been flipped on its head. I want to share some things about that in a week or two that the Lord's been showing me that I believe we need in terms of truth and in terms of what's real and, and what the enemy is up to right now. And I feel like God's showing me some things that'll, that'll help us and especially help our students as you go back to school. But for now, suffice to say that we've got answers on the inside of us that have nothing to do with our intellect. It's the power of God that changes lives. It's an anointing on the inside of us gets expressed through our mouths, gets expressed through our hands, gets expressed through the way we go about our lives that has the capacity in it to sanctify things that are right now unholy. Do you know, you know that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, right? So when we go out there and minister wherever we go, It's not with a mindset that says, I've got to somehow protect. I've got to hide myself. I've got to protect my heart from what might happen to me when I go out there. We have an anointing on the inside of us that literally makes things holy when we touch it. So I'm going to just read for you real quick out of Exodus. um, Where do I want to go? Exodus um, chapter 25. forgot to turn my Bible to there. If you have your Bible, you could turn there. Exodus 25. What verse do I want to start in? I'm going to start in verse 20, 22. That um, moreover the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take for yourself the finest of spices, flowing myrrh, 500 shekels, fragrant cinnamon, half as much, 250 of that, fragrant, uh, and, uh, of fragrant cinnamon, half as much, 250, fragrant cane, 250, of cassia, 500, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and of olive oil, one hen, which is about almost two gallons. You shall make of these a holy anointing oil, a perfume mixture, the work of a perfumer or apothecary would be the term that we use, and it shall be a holy anointing oil. And you shall use that, and it goes on and describes all these things that'll be consecrated by that anointing oil. I told you chapter 25 is chapter 30. I was just checking to see if you're paying attention. You'll anoint all the vessels and all the tables and all the implements of the tabernacle. So with this anointing oil, things that were just works of craftsmen, whether it was a table for sacrifice or a table for offering up incense, whether it was somewhere to store the showbread, all of the things that were fashioned went from being just ordinary objects to being actual implements of worship, things that were holy, set apart for the worship of God, set apart as those things that now belonged in heavenly places, though they were in the earth. Just by putting this anointing oil on it, God said, I am now declaring that thing mine. 
That now belongs to me. It's not just an ordinary table. That's not something you'll use to put your coffee on. That's where the holy showbread's gonna go. And, and this, this brazen altar here, this is not for cookouts. This is for offering burnt offerings and sacrifices to, to atone for sin. And it, it went from being just an ordinary object to something completely supernatural because of this oil. That's us. When before Christ in us, before Christ came into us, before we invited him into our lives, we were just ordinary people. How many of you are still ordinary people now? Good, nobody raised their hands, not a one. You have been anointed. We have been anointed with oil. Our cup overflows right now. Christ in us makes us holy. We are not sinners saved by grace anymore. We're sinners who got saved by grace, but now we are holy saints, which means holy ones. That's what the anointing's all about. And so it goes on and it says, consecrate all these things. And it says, you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them, shall be holy. Whatever touches those things, so the anointing is on these things, and then whatever touches them shall become holy. This is the anointing in us makes it so that we can go into the world and never be of the world. So a Christian, a saint of God, we never need to protect ourselves from wherever God sends us. There is no place we could go. We just sang the song, there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. Well, there's no shadow he won't send us into to be the answer to that song. There's no hill we won't climb. There's no dark place that we could ever go into. There's no ugly, you think of the the scariest, most sinful place you've ever been. You can go into those places now and it not get on you. That's the power of the anointing. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So because the anointing rests in us, not just on us as in the old covenant, it rests in us now. We are the anointing. We carry it and we are the physical embodiment of that anointing. The anointing rests in us so we cannot be made unholy by whatever we touch. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Whatever it is that we touch now becomes holy all around us. There's an amazing principle of this in 1 Corinthians, speaking of um, marriages where the wife was saved or the husband was saved, but the spouse wasn't. And, And in a day where it was a patriarchy, it was women had no rights, women had nothing at all whatsoever, Paul was bold enough to say that the unsaved husband is sanctified by his wife. Otherwise, your children would be unholy, but as it is, they're holy. Why? Because of that one holy woman in the house sanctified the entire house. Do you know that your life, your presence in your workplace makes your workplace holy? Your family, maybe you're the only believer in your household. You just sanctified your house because your presence is in that place. Whatever you touch now becomes holy. I didn't say that it gets eternal life. I didn't say that it has life in it that goes beyond the grave, but it now becomes something that belongs to the Lord. Wherever you step, wherever we go in our lives, we're to consider that place now holy ground. Holy ground's not when you come to the church building on Sunday. Holy ground is wherever you step. I thought I was gonna be, but that's a, that's a good, amen. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna consider wherever I go now holy ground. We don't view what we put our hands to. Maybe you work with your hands. I know a lot of you do. 
A lot of you do it a heck of a lot better than I do. You put your hand on something, you build something, you make something, you write something, you type something, whatever you put your hands on, that is now holy. That's why whatever we do, it's not just a job anymore. That's now ministry unto the Lord. Because this holy vessel now touched something and what used to be just an ordinary keyboard is now a vehicle through which the anointing can flow. Lives could be transformed. This thing that I'm building right here, I might be putting some nails in. I was about to say hammering nails or whatever the thing that you, you, know, you pound nails in with, whatever that is. That's now a holy building that you're constructing. That kitchen that you're working on, that toilet that you're installing is now a holy toilet because your hands are on that thing while you're installing it. It's even holy when you're unclogging it. It becomes holy. That every single thing, if we begin to view the world this way, I'm not going to touch some defiled thing. I've gone to touch something to bring heaven to that thing. Whatever I put my hands to now, God has touched it. We've got to begin to view ourselves that way. If you're a saint of God, you have this anointing on the inside. Whatever you touch, as the scripture says, becomes holy. That's the purpose of it. Now it's been given over to God. It, if it's a living human being, it may not understand what just happened to it more on that in a minute. It may not receive it. It may not acknowledge God in the middle of it. But whatever lives and whatever things it is that we touch, we begin to view it as, okay, I'm here now. The Lord's in, the Christ in me right now is going to minister here, and you've just stepped into holy ground because the Lord's here through me. This is now a burning bush moment for whoever ever it is that we're talking with. At that, Does that make sense? That's who we are. So it says um, of this anointing oil in verse 25, it says, you shall make of these a holy anointing oil, a perfume mixture, the work of a perfumer, and it shall be a holy anointing oil. So they're just simple ingredients that go into it. It's uh, about two gallons of olive oil. It's got two parts of myrrh mixed into it, one part of cinnamon, one part of, uh, or two parts of cassia, and, and we'll go through all of those things. And, and all of those things together are things that come from growing. They're all growing things. You get cinnamon, you get myrrh, you get all of the things that go into the anointing oil by living things. Cane, sugar cane goes into it. All of those things were once growing, they get harvested, and those become the ingredients of the anointing oil. So Christ in us is cultivated, Christ in us grows, the anointing in us gets renewed season to season, not just by God pouring out his spirit on us. He does that, doesn't he? If you've experienced a time where you're just with the Lord and it feels like he just rushed into the room or he rushed into the prayer closet where you were, he does pour out his spirit on all flesh. But we have Christ in us now and we have an anointing that's on the inside and now we partner together with Christ to build that anointing, to mix the anointing oil. You know, God took in Moses' day, the first time they mixed, the first two gallons of anointing oil, he told Moses, gather these ingredients, harvest them, get them from the people, get them from the ground, make the olive oil. You're gonna partner with me in this and you're gonna make this mixture, but when I put my seal on that thing, it's become holy. So we co-labor with Christ. There are ingredients to our anointing that have to do with heaven and have to do with our partnership with heaven. How many of you want to increase anointing in your life? How many of you have ministered? I know I have. How many of you have ministered and you long to see that person set free? 
You long to see that life step over the line out of darkness and into light. You long to see the lie and the deception, the misunderstanding of God, the stronghold come tumbling down. Well, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty for pulling down strongholds. It all has to do with how we co-labor with Christ to, to mix this anointing in us. So, It says of the anointing oil that not just anybody is to mix this anointing oil. It's got to be the work of an apothecary. That's somebody who's a master at mixing things. Somebody who knows and understands the chemistry. All of you who bake or or cook things that, that are more involved in mac and cheese, like you know ingredients, you know there's an order to what you put the ingredients in. If you put the ingredients in out of order, I learned this the first time I baked bread. I, I had this bread maker and I thought, oh, I'm just, you know, I just throw all the ingredients in. Nope, you gotta put the wet ingredients in first or done, it, it doesn't come out right. And you can't put the yeast in and let it get wet and then let it sit there because you come back and it's like the Brady Bunch. You know? and so there's this thing, it's like a chemist. You know what ingredients to put in when. You know how much to add. You know, do you fold it in? Do you whip it in? Do you stir it in? Do you get your kids? Uh, you know, there's, there's a way to do it and there's a craftsmanship to it, and there's a science to it even, and it's the work of a master apothecary. So it wasn't, God even said, Moses, I don't, you're not gonna mix this, and I don't want just anybody to do it. Get somebody who knows what they're doing working with these spices, because there's a certain way it's gotta be done, or it's gonna come out wrong. And this is how God comes into our lives, how he works this anointing of Christ in us, the way he works it. He causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God is able to take every single thing that happens in our lives. He's able to work the good, the bad, the ugly, and all things together. He is mixing and anointing in our lives in every circumstance. There's not a single thing that happens to us that goes to waste. There's not a good joyful moment of celebration because something awesome just happened that goes to waste. There's not a a terrible grief-oriented horrible thing that happens to us that God's not able to work in and he's like a master apothecary. He's taking everything that happens in our lives and he's blending it together. And he's putting it all into something that will become a ministry on the other side. There's not a single thing that happens to us that God can't take, mix it in, and work something beautiful. You'll see by these ingredients in the the anointing oil, it's everything that happens in life. Everything that happens, God says, I'm going to take that. I didn't cause that to happen. We'll talk about that with the first ingredient in a moment which is myrrh, which is the bitterness of life, the things that that happened that left a bad taste in our mouth. There's not a single thing that goes to waste. And so the the partnering with God, co-laboring with heaven, when it comes to building an anointing to minister, you know the purpose of the anointing is not so that we smell good. I mean, anointing oil smells amazing. If you've ever smelled like a real deal mixture of anointing oil, it's an absolutely amazing smell that you could smell from, from yards or miles away if you were the high priest of old. But we can't afford to interpret any of life's events without engaging God's presence to gain a heavenly perspective. If we have something really awful happen in our life, then we could be prone to bitterness if we're not careful. We can be asking, we start out asking those questions. Where was God when that happened? Why didn't God intervene with a miracle when I wanted him to? Why didn't God stop that evil event from happening in my life? Or worse yet, why didn't God stop that evil from happening in the life of that one I loved? Because how many of you know that's even more painful sometimes? 
for a parent to watch your child go through something? Awful experience. And the questions that come to mind naturally always come to mind. Why God, where were you? All of those questions, everybody experiences that. What we do with those questions, if we go and seek answers to those questions without involving God's presence, that's a road to bitterness. That's a road to to building things where we now create strongholds where we literally call evil good and good evil and we don't even believe that God's good anymore. So always, and, and then maybe we have a triumphant experience. We get that promotion. We come into money. We come into some thing where, you know, now we're being praised and moved forward in life. And if we forget to involve God in that, that's a quick road to pride and self-will. Oh, I could do this without God. I'm all set now. I could do this on my own. That's the pride of life, as Jesus said, one of the things that kills the seed of the word, the pride of life. I could do this. I don't need God in my life. It's why Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter into heaven. It's not because God's against wealth. It's just that it's a very quick, easy substitute for the presence of God and our, our understanding that we need him for everything. When we have wealth and life is all set and we don't really have need of anything, we're not praying for daily bread anymore. We're not you know, crying out to God for anything when everything seems to be at peace around us. And so if we don't involve God in that with a thank you, Lord, I acknowledge this was your hand. You gave me the ability to create wealth. You're the one who's to be praised for this amazing thing that just happened in my life. Even if I was the one you used to do it, I acknowledge apart from you, I can do nothing. So this was you in me that was able to do this. Us working together, what a great team we made on this. That's how to avoid that road. But whether good, bad, or ugly, or anything in between, all of life, All of life needs to be interpreted through the lens of heaven. We can't afford to have a single conclusion in our mind that wasn't birthed in heavenly places. Amen? So even every one of our life's experiences then becomes part of our ministry when we allow the master apothecary to do his work in us. So I'll just give you an example that that has to do with one of the ingredients, myrrh. My wife and I uh, started out as uh, a young couple, we got married at 23 years old. A lot of people advised us not to do that, said we were too young. Everyone who said that got married when they were 20, but that's another, you know, just saying. We got married young, we had a plan. You know, I was just talking with a friend the other day about this. We, uh, we had a plan, we were gonna wait five years until we were gonna have kids together. I wanted to finish seminary, we wanted to kind of establish, our relationship was mostly long distance <laughs> in the day when you had to call with a phone attached to the wall. They didn't even have cordless phones yet, dude. It was like, no, however far the cord would go. So you remember you used to buy those joiners so you could make the cord longer, so you could walk more than five feet away from the wall to talk to your, your girlfriend? So we were on the phone for hours. My brother knew I was gonna marry her because I'm not on the phone with anybody for five hours. And when he heard I was on the phone with her for five hours, he said, when are you getting married? And we would do that. She was in Indiana, I was in New York. So we wanted to take a few years to get to know each other because we'd never really lived in the same community other than summer camp, which is a whole different animal. That's on the one hand, a great way to get to know somebody at their best and worst. On the other hand, it's like a fake environment. It's not real life, it's camp. And so we wanted to do that. And and then she went and got pregnant. (laughs) About six months in, she shows me the, the positive pregnancy test. We figured out how it happens, by the way. Somebody asked that after, uh, after we announced number four, I think, maybe. And, and a few of our family were getting concerned because now we're out number two to one by kids. 
And, and more than a few of them said, you, you know how this happens, right? But yeah, yeah, we kind of figured that out. So she came and showed me the positive pregnancy test and I rejoiced and then I was terrified that I'm gonna be a dad, that's crazy. And when I'm even gonna be married, um, at least we thought, well, we'll be married for a year before our baby's born. Am I missing details? I'm messing up details. Can I just tell it funny? However <laughs> it came out. <laughs> this is why you shouldn't let your wife sit right in front of you when you tell a story. It's the, the basic details are right, right? I mean, we're, we're gonna have a baby <laughs> just move on, she said. We're going to have a baby, and, you know, it was exciting and terrifying all at once, and then, and then he was born 16 weeks before his due date. So we're new parents. I'm just about to start seminary, and we have a baby, and he's in a NICU. And every day for the next 16 weeks, we had a doctor who felt it was their sworn duty to let us know he's not out of the woods yet. How many times did we hear that in four months? He's not out of the woods yet. Here's a dozen ways he could die tomorrow before you come back to see him again. And that was our introduction to parenting and before our first anniversary. That's what we were faced with. Awful experience. We were new in the Boston area. We'd only just met Phil Capuccio and the Boston Tabernacle where we went to church. We were just getting to know him. We didn't really have a community yet other than at the seminary campus. We didn't really have, you know, all of the, the rooted and established and love going on yet. And we're on our own in a strange, uh, Boston's a strange place to live, that whole area, all alone in a strange land. And here we are in the middle of that. Now, that was a circumstance that could have destroyed us or it was a circumstance that could get mixed into a holy anointing oil, which is exactly what God did. Because the first prophecy we got as a couple, I don't remember if it was before Ben was born or after, but one of the first prophecies, the first prophecy we got from Phil Capuccio said the Lord's gonna give you two books to minister from. One's gonna be the scripture, the other one's gonna be the book of your life, and you're gonna have to learn how to blend the two together, and you're gonna minister out of both. We had no idea what God was up to in the middle of that, but we did know we're not gonna survive this thing without Jesus. We are not going to survive this thing if we don't grab on tight and hold on real close because our son could die at any moment right now. And this is not what we envisioned when we started this journey of parenting together. So you all know Ben. He's just turned 30. Can you believe Benjamin's 30 years old? Does that make some of you feel old? I hope so. If you had him here at youth, good, because I'm not old enough to have a 30-year-old either. He just turned 30. Obviously, he survived it. But we went through that every day inviting Jesus in, saying, Jesus, you're our only hope. You're the only way that we're gonna keep our sanity. You're the only way that we're gonna get through this thing. We grab hold of Jesus so tight that people in the hospital, one of the doctors actually asked my wife's mother, is there something wrong with them? Are they stupid? Did they not understand what's going on here? Because we were in there praying over him, singing over him, and even laughing at some of the quirky little faces he was making through the tube that they, they had on his ventilator. And, and we were actually having moments of joy in the middle of that, it was a joy unspeakable and full of glory. It was a joy that only came. It made no sense. I understand enough of medical terms. I mean, we learned quite a few during that season. I understood enough to know the danger he was in. I understood it. But there was this presence that we grabbed hold and didn't let go. And when we came through on the other side, they asked us to come back to the NICU and minister to some of the couples that were in there because they were really messed up and broken and, and looking at their baby laying in an incubator and their lives were falling apart. They invited us back. We've had since then some miscarriages. We've had all kinds of things happen in that realm. And because of that, my wife is the best doula on the planet. 
because those experiences, God took what the enemy intended for evil and he wove it together and he worked it together for good. Why? Because he loves us and because we're called according to his purpose. He's not gonna let any experience go unwasted. My wife's ministry to couples who have lost children, to couples that are in the middle of childbirth and even tragic loss in the middle of childbirth is extraordinary. Where did she get that anointing from? From all of these experiences. Letting the master apothecary take all of those ingredients of experiences of life, harvest them together, mix them together like only a master apothecary can and bring an anointing that's broken yokes and brought peace in places where it's impossible. He's able to take it all, all of it. So the first ingredient, the main ingredient, the base, if you will, for the anointing oil is olive oil. It can't just be any oil. It's gotta be olive oil. In the scriptures, olive trees always represent God's chosen people, God's covenant people. In Romans, you know that we Gentiles, I could say you Gentiles, because I'm a natural Jew, but the Gentiles were grafted in to Israel, the olive tree. We were like wild olive branches. We got grafted in to the natural olive tree, the fruit of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and olive has always represented the covenant people. So the fruit of the olive tree, the olive itself, is the fruit of covenant relationship with God. The oil is made from the giving over of that fruit out of our covenant walk with God. So as we walk with God, we're bearing fruit. In this scriptural metaphor, it's olives. That's the fruit of our relationship. The older an olive tree gets, the more fruit it bears. The better rooted an olive tree gets, the more healthy fruit it bears. So all of our lives, as we're rooted and established in love, as we're just doing life with Jesus, we're bearing fruit. That comes naturally. There's nothing we could do to stop growing it. We can interfere with the health of its growth by taking in wrong things into our roots. We can have seasons of drought and all that does is make our roots go deeper if we stay in covenant relationship. So the olives, the base, the oil is just the simple fruit of our walking with God. And he takes that, crushes it in the press, and he makes oil. He takes the things, even the things that we all, all like, how Paul, the things that I once held accounted as gain, I now count as loss. The things that I, Paul said, that I used to think made me so awesome, I now count them like dung. I'm willing to let them be pressed and let God use something new for a new season. That, that's where the olive oil comes from. So oil is made from giving over the fruit of the last growing season to the olive press. I shared that a couple of weeks ago and I urge you to do that. Take whatever has happened in life, offer it up to the Lord, whether it's an offering of thanksgiving for things he has done or an offering of thanksgiving for things that he will do. We're the people who in everything give thanks, right? Or at least we're supposed to. Now in everything we may give thanks after we've grumbled for a little bit, we all do that, don't worry. You're not alone. Don't, don't worry, don't look around and go, oh, man, I'm the only one who complains. No, you're not. You ever read, you've read some of David's Psalms, right? All of us pour out our complaint to the Lord for wise. We put it in that place. But in everything we give thanks, which means we offer it all over to the Lord. That's how we become his chosen people. Who are the chosen people? All of Israel, natural and spiritual. The chosen people are the, all of those who are now considered the new covenant, ecclesia, the called out ones. 
The church is the English translation. But the ecclesia, the ones who've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's why we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, First Peter 2, a, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? What's the purpose of the anointing? What's the entire reason why we say, God, work all things together for good? For my good? No. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, it's for my good because he loves, because I'm a son, you're a, you know, is your son, a daughter? Yeah, he loves me and he wants my life to be complete in Christ. But how many of you know we're not guaranteed? Uh, you got a lot of martyrs to explain to me if you believe that this is a promise that come to Christ and everything's gonna be easy and everything's gonna go well. It's all gonna end in the good. We have an eternal inheritance in Christ. We gotta be careful never to lose sight of that that there are some things that we're laying up treasures in heaven and we might experience loss here in the earth that's laying up treasures in heaven. But if we misjudge it and we think, I keep getting robbed, I keep getting stolen from, I keep getting all these things that happen in my life and it, it just feels like where is God in the middle of all that? We have opportunity in every moment like that to offer it up to the Lord and say, okay, this is gonna have some eternal weight of inheritance. I may not understand it here, but there's some kind of weight of glory that's on the other side. We're all gonna consider these things as nothing compared to the eternal glory that I'm receiving on the other side of this circumstance. What's the purpose of the anointing? Why are we all of these things? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's all to testify to a world and to bring the gospel of the kingdom of heaven and say God is good all the time and here's evidence of it in my life. Here's evidence of it from the anointing that I now carry that I can pour out onto you. You used to not be a people. Now you're the people of God. You, you, you had no mercy, but now you've received mercy. The whole world needs to hear that. The whole world needs to experience that. Amen. You guys okay? Can I preach a little bit more? That was like eight yeses, so that's enough for me to go by. I'm just checking your faces to make sure nobody's passing out. I can feel the breeze from that fan though, or is that an angel blowing on me? Because God loves me, that's, yeah? Is it the fan or an angel? That's both. We'll take both, I don't care what it is, it feels good up here. All right, so everything that God works together for good is for the purpose of his holy calling on our lives. How many of you are called to ministry? I'm working until all the hands go up. I'm gonna keep asking that from time to time. Every one of us, Christ in us is not just for our benefit. Christ in us is first for our benefit, but the Abrahamic blessing belongs to us. I will bless you and make you to be a blessing. I'm not blessing you just for yourself. You'll enjoy it. You get to be the stream of anointing. You get to experience heaven right now. God's presence is heaven, no matter where we are. That's, that's what heaven is. Paradise is his presence. We get to experience that, but more than that, we get to share it and spread it all around. All right, so what goes into this anointing oil then? Two parts of bitterness. Myrrh means bitter. And, and I've preached on this and shared a, a good bit, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but this is where God takes every experience that could have left a bad taste in our mouth. You all know what I mean by that, right? We, we say that about, you know, time we were betrayed maybe, a time we lost something, time somebody did something that was really hurtful to us, and we look back on it and we use that expression in English. That left a bad taste in my mouth. Well, you've all, I, I preached a message a while back about the waters of Mara, which is another uh, way of saying bitter, myrrh, Mara in the Hebrew language. God, the first place that God brought Israel to when they came out of the promised land was to a, a little 
lake or a little pond or something like that, a source of water that they called Mara because the water was bitter. So they ran up to it thirsty, put the water in their mouth and it was bitter, they couldn't drink it. And God brought them to a place and God will bring us to places that remind us of something that left a bad taste in our mouth. If you've seen and loved the shack, it's, we're gonna go back to the shack. We need to go back to that place where that thing that separated you from me, because Israel had become embittered by the bondage that they experienced in, in Egypt. They had become separated from God. Yeah, they cried out to God, and that's why God sent them a deliverer, but you saw how they responded to Moses when he got there. It was all unbelief from day one. It was one man, the deliverer, who brought them out of bondage, not because of their faith. The only night they showed even a drop of faith was when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, put the blood on their door. And at that point, it might have been as much fear as faith because they saw what happened in the other nine plagues before that night. But up until then, it was all unbelief poured out on Moses. They'd become so bitter because of all those centuries of bondage, generations of slavery that had gone on before. God brought him to those waters and, and he showed Moses a tree. And he said, now watch how my miraculous power can take even that thing that left a bad taste in your mouth and I'm gonna turn it into sweetness. And he threw that tree in the water, the water became sweet and they all drank that day. It's what the cross can do. It's what the power of God can do. He can even take those experiences in life that made a bad taste in our mouths. He could draw it out like how you draw myrrh out of a myrrh tree. You, you siphon it out, just like you tap into a tree to get maple syrup. We got the maple, um, what, what do you call it? Maple sap, thank you. The maple sap out, myrrh is like a sap that comes out. So we bring these things to the Lord and we say, God, I need you to draw this thing out of me. I need you to draw bitterness out from the inside because I see it's separating me from you and it's making me miss out on so much that you have in store. He even takes that bitterness and it's the first ingredient, double portion of it compared to other things that go in. I'm gonna put that in and that's gonna become part of your anointing now. I'm gonna take that mess and turn it into a ministry as he did for my wife and ministers to moms and dads who are in all kinds of situations in childbirth. He took what the enemy intended to destroy and instead of it leaving a bad taste in her mouth, she ministers out of that now powerfully, powerfully. So this is what Jesus specializes in. Isaiah 61, Jesus is gonna introduce himself. What's his anointing for? Well, he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord's upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to who? To the afflicted. I got good news to the afflicted. We still today, how many of you have good news for those who are afflicted? Do you have a hope in you? Do you have something that you can offer somebody who's really jacked up and broken? You bet you do. You may not need to have experienced, like walked a mile in their shoes, but you got exactly what they need on the inside of you because the spirit of the sovereign Lord's upon you. He's upon me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God. And what else? To comfort those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Do you want to know what to do with your bitterness? Have a good cry. Have a good cry. You know, after Peter denied the Lord for the third time, you know what he did? He wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. He was humbled in a moment, and he wept bitterly about it. He poured out his heart for the Lord. He was primed and ready for the moment that Jesus would come just a few days later to restore him back to being the rock 
But in that moment, he wept bitterly and he poured out all of his fear and all of his failure before the Lord. We have got to learn the art of pouring out our heart before the Lord and having a good cry. Grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. This is what the anointing does. This is what God takes with all those things that can make a bad taste in our mouth. We give them over to Jesus. We process it together with Jesus, not holding him hostage to have to answer the questions our mind has but to grab hold of him real tight and say, I need your presence right now because all of what my life is telling me right now is that you're not good, but I know better than that. I know that you're good. I know the circumstance is awful right now that I'm in right now, but I know you're good and I'm not gonna receive that lie. I'm not gonna make you reduce you to the circumstance I'm in right now. You're not gonna change in my belief just because I'm experiencing tragedy right now, I'm holding on to you until you give me a garment of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, until you make beauty out of these ashes of this thing that just got completely destroyed that I'd invested so much of my life in until I have gladness on the other side. Blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. You sow in tears, what are you gonna reap in? Joy. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. I know on the other side of this, I'm holding on to you, Jesus, because on the other side of this, I know that my tears are ready to produce a harvest of joy. And I'm just going to hang on until the end of this thing is done. And I get to see you face to face like Job did at the end of his trial. You know what's amazing about the book of Job? I used to hate that book. Now that I've lived a little bit, I love that book. <laughs> Because the Job days and the Job seasons in life where it just seems like everything falls apart and there's no explanation for it. You want the answer to why do good, bad things happen to good people? Read the book of Job. You know what the answer is? We don't know. All the questions that get asked, it's like 30 chapters of questions and questions and questions. And all the wise you know, friends of Job try to give him answers and blame him for all. Obviously, Job, he did something. You know, 30 chapters of friends telling him, this must be your fault somehow. God finally shows up on the scene, and he basically tells Job in two chapters, I'm still sovereign, I'm still God. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. I'm good. Job never cursed God. Job never turned his back on him. In an instant, God restored a double portion for everything Job lost. It's a great book. I mean, I don't mind skipping over those 30 chapters of his friend's numbskull questions and answers part. I mean, there's, there's some good stuff in there too, but, but this is what the anointing does. So there will be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, so that he may be glorified. In the end, Whatever it is that the enemy tried to do to us becomes part of our anointing and now God's glorified in the bearing of fruit and the ministry of setting people free. Most often, every powerful ministry we've ever experienced, there's a story behind it. You, you hear the testimony of the great ones that God's used that made international renown because of the anointing and the ministry that flowed out of them. They've got stories that make you really ask, have to answer the question, do you want that anointing? And the answer is usually, yeah, I would love that anointing. Are you willing to pay the same price that was paid for that anointing? Are you willing to be crushed? Are you willing to go through experiences that could have left a bad taste in your mouth? Are you willing to let God take all of those things to crush whatever will interfere with that anointing? 
Are you willing to endure that process together with the Lord? Can he trust you with that? If the answer is yes, then yeah, maybe as you continue to walk with God, God will see fit to increase your anointing to that place. It always comes with a process. It's not a one that on day one of their salvation steps in and has this worldwide anointing. It always came because they did this very process I'm sharing with you about. They were willing to allow the master apothecary to take all of those things together. The next ingredient is uh, one part cinnamon, and I'll stop here. I'll just share about this ingredient. So cinnamon, this is a spice in Moses' day. This was uh, worth its weight in gold, literally worth its weight in gold. Cinnamon, this kind of cinnamon was a rare, um, incredible fragrance. It was used in perfumes. It was used to sprinkle, to make a house smell good uh, by wealthy, wealthy people. It was worth its weight in gold. And, And one part, the only purpose of it is to add a fragrant aroma to it. That's the only purpose of cinnamon, is to bring fragrance. Today we have different kinds of cinnamon, like brown cinnamon, we use it to flavor, we use it as an ingredient, but this kind of cinnamon that would have been used for the anointing was purely for for the sake of making it smell amazing. Do you know the creator of beauty is God? Why is it, it's one of the things that I thought about when I was pondering the existence of God. Back when I was arrogant enough to think, well, as long as God makes sense to my mind, then I'll believe in him. And one of the questions, I think it might have been C.S. Lewis, asked the question, why is it that we even care about beauty? Why is it, you know, if we're just, you know, random cells that got put together and we're just advanced apes that, you know, kind of go through the motions of life, we're just chemicals and all that, why do we care about beauty? This morning, Stephanie, <laughs> Stephanie Nutjob, Stephanie drove up from Virginia this morning at the crack of dawn to be back with us. She was down at the MAPS conference worshiping with um, the Hextels and with Jason Upton was there, her, and, and then she's driving up and saw the sunrise. And just the beauty of that sunrise, all of a sudden she felt alive and awake. Why do we like that? Why do we enjoy beauty? Why do we like beautiful smells? You know, I, I planted a flower bed next to my house and I, I go around smelling flowers, and I found out which ones I love the smell of the most, flocks. So I planted flocks to the right of my door, just so that the breeze coming in off the river would bring the smell of flocks to my nose every time I come in and out the door of my house, out the side of my house. You're free, you can come by and get a free sniff anytime. You just come, and it's just fragrant. I planted, um, along the, the, I planted honeysuckle along the side of my garage, because the smell of honeysuckle is just so much better than toxic waste clouds from New Jersey that came over Queens where I grew up. It just smells so much better than that. And why do we like those things? Because God loves beauty. And this fragrance that comes with cinnamon in the anointing oil is for no other reason than to draw people to the anointing. The, the smell of an anointing draws people. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place for we're a fragrance of Christ to God, just a smell. You know, you can smell things. If you close your eyes and ears and all of that, you can smell smells. Uh, we, you ever do one of those sensory walks? You know, if you go to a camp and they, they have some of those experiences, you know, you kind of close your ears and eyes and you just kind of smell. What do you smell? What, you know, and always had some wisecrack counselor to make sure we went by where the skunk was, you know, or something like that. But you can just smell. There's so much to smell. And there's a fragrance that draws you. My wife has a perfume that she wears that never fails 
to, to get the same reaction. I just love the smell and I connect it with her. I'm not gonna tell you what it is. But you know, I've, uh, the way, and, and it's, I've smelled it on other women, but it doesn't smell the same as it does on her. That's part of the, the chemistry of perfume. It mixes with your natural smell and there's a certain smell and I now connect it with my wife and it makes me happy whenever I smell that smell. And that's what Christ in us, there's a fragrance to our anointing. It's something that draws people in that are in need of that. You've heard me share in classes I've taught here about how do you know what your gift is? How do you know what particular anointing you have? Well, what do people seek you out for? What is it that if you walk into a room, it seems like you just draw that? You draw people who need what you have to yourself. Like for example, you have mercy, you have a gift of mercy, it just seems like people are pouring out their heart, crying on your shoulder for no reason. You don't even know their name yet, they don't know who you are. All of a sudden they're telling you about all their tragedies and all their sorrows and they're just pouring their heart out and they may even say, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. It's because they smelled something and it drew them to the anointing that you carry. That's the fragrant aroma of Christ. I just had an amazing experience with this. Uh, yeah, just yes, yesterday, two days ago, it was Friday. It was Friday and yesterday. Anyway, sometime before today, I drove my girls down. They're staying with some friends of ours and, uh, in Virginia, and I drove down and spent the night over there just to catch up with my friend. And they have this beautiful cabin in the woods in Shenandoah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's near Massanutten. It's just a beautiful, beautiful spot. Gorgeous view, beautiful scenery, and it's such a quiet, serene place. So we got there, and I arrived a couple of hours before my friend was going to get there. I thought, great, you know, and girls and I got some lunch together. We're sitting there in this cabin. I thought, this is going to be great. We're just going to spend some time together. We're alone in this beautiful beautiful place and all of a sudden this big burly dude comes in the door I mean he's got like muscles on top of muscles and tattoos and I mean he had a Hawaiian tattoo over here and and he just looked really rough and he, he came in and he's a contractor who's working on my friend's deck so he came in he said oh I'm so sorry I didn't know anybody was here yet I, you know I saw your truck I don't know it doesn't look like Sergio's truck and he, he came in and all of a sudden he just starts telling me his story I'm sitting there eating lunch with my girls can I uh, true confessions I was so tired and just really wanted to be alone and he wouldn't stop talking. Come on, don't judge me. You, you all know what I'm talking about. You just have the moments like I'm just alone with Jesus and my girls. This is gonna be a great afternoon. We're gonna relax. I might even have an afternoon nap. What a rare treat that would be. And this guy comes in. He starts telling me a story. I did ask a question or two. I can't help myself. And started pouring out of him. Turns out he's a, a war veteran. He'd been in Afghanistan, saw some terrible things. Just had a really rough life story. Recently divorced, going through a really tough time. And honestly, as he's talking, I'm just trying to get to the end of the conversation so I could pray with him and, and be done with it. I'm sorry, that happens to me too. I'm sharing this because I think this might set some of you free. So he goes outside, starts working again. A couple hours later, he comes back in and he sits right in front of me. I'm sitting in a chair, just kind of texting. I think my friend had arrived by then. He sits across from me on the fire, the fireplace, like mantle or uh, you know, the stone in front of the fireplace, the hearth, thank you, of the fireplace. And he starts looking at me. And he starts telling me more. And then he said, I got some questions for you. And he starts asking all these questions about why did God let that happen? What a waste it was being in Afghanistan. All these things, you know, he's politically minded. Why does God allow that? And why did they get away with this? And all these kinds of things. So I just heard him out. And, you know, I said, I really don't have answers for that. But then the Lord gave me a question to ask him. I started to burrow in a little bit and ask him questions, draw out. How many of you know that wisdom is listening to the question behind the question? And God will give us all that kind of wisdom. 
I've practiced it a bit, practiced on some of you, I've practiced it. The question is almost never the question. There's always something deeper, especially if there's pain and bitterness and fear and anger mixed in with it. There's always something much deeper than that. So we got back to much older stuff and he poured out his heart. And I said, can I just pray for you? I mean, he brought me to tears at one point. I asked him, why did you enlist? He enlisted when he was 40 years old. Why did you enlist? The war in Afghanistan and Iraq was already going on. Why did you enlist when you enlisted? And his first answer was, I thought, I wasn't feeling so good about my life at that point. I thought if I could save one young buck from going and wasting his life over there, then I'm willing to go. And that, that just brought me to tears. And I, I said, do you know that is, there's nothing more like what Jesus did for us than that heart. That is exactly the heart of why Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, thought nothing of the shame. And this, now he's starting to cry. Now, I mean, he's a big, scary-looking man. He starts crying. And I said, all right, let's pray. And I prayed with him, and, and he, he's bawling, and he said, oh, man, thank you. Then we invited him for dinner, and we hung out for the night. He came back the morning after to tell me I slept through the night for the first time in 20 years. Last night, I've got peace. I haven't had a moment. Of, he's got PTSD. He's got everything you could possibly get from being in war zones like that. He said, I slept last night for the first time. And then I, got, and then I repented in my heart. I said, God, there was somebody who smelled the fragrant aroma of Christ on me and I nearly turned him away out of selfishness like I wanted a nap. Would you please never let me miss an opportunity like that? Thank you for not letting me miss this one because the guy came back. But the point is, he smelled something that he needed. He needed a peace that goes beyond understanding to fill his heart. He didn't have it yet. I do because I carry it in Christ and now he's got it. And I was going to follow up with my friend and be part of this men's group that meets online and, and he's going to grow in the Lord with that. Life got turned around just like that. But he smelled the aroma. What do people smell when they get around us? What do people smell when they get around you? How do people know that, that there's something different? Have you, have you ever had somebody say, there's just something about you, I can't understand what it is, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but there's something about you, I just feel drawn to you. They're smelling Christ in you. They're sniffing it out and like a bee drawn to a flower. They're saying, I need some. I don't know what it is you're carrying, but something in me deep is crying out to deep right now and you're carrying something I need. Be that fragrant aroma wherever you go and don't take for granted, as I almost did, don't take for granted that people who need your anointing smell it even if we've learned to take it for granted. So let's pray. Father, I pray that even as we consider these ingredients for the anointing, that you would make us aware of those who smell the fragrant aroma of Christ all around us, that you would make us capable ministers of the anointing. We thank you for being the master apothecary who's taken everything, even that which the enemy intended for evil, and you mixed it into our lives, and you mixed it into the anointing that you placed in us for a purpose. And I pray that you'd bring those who are in need of what we've experienced. I bless right now everyone who's endured circumstances for no other reason but that there's somebody who will benefit from their lessons learned walking through the valley of the shadow of death, walking through the wilderness, learning to lean on the arm of their beloved. I pray that you would bring those people to each one of us that we'd be able to pour out and minister by the anointing of Christ that's in us. Jesus, would you feel free to make the fragrance of that aroma known all around us and continue to draw people who would love to have what we carry in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
Give us a great and glorious week in you, Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. I love you. Have an awesome week being the fragrant aroma of Christ.